Ben is a litigation director at Carnegie Impairment. He has recently been appointed to the Human Rights Commission. Uh, he is going to present on one of the most captivating and fascinating stories within Bermuda's legal and maritime history, that of the slave ship enterprise. Thank you very much, Chen. And good evening, lady. good evening, ladies and gentlemen. On the 11th of February, 1835, the Enterprise, uh, an American brig, sailed into Hamilton Harbor. It had been sailing between Virginia and South Carolina and had been, had been blown dramatically off course and ended up off the coast of Bermuda. Its cargo was 78 slaves. They were almost all young and they had all been born or raised in the USA. What followed is one of the most inspiring moments uh, in the in Bermuda history, certainly when it comes to the interplay of race and law. Richard Tucker, a black businessman and the real hero of the story, applied for habeas corpus on behalf of the slaves. The ship tried to leave, uh, but was prevented. And on the 18th of February, 1835, the slaves were landed at Bars Bay and escorted by jubilant crowds uh, up to the courthouse. There, in a late night sitting, Chief Justice Butterfield informed each of them that they were free and asked them individually if they wished to remain in Bermuda. The vast majority, 72 of the 78, said yes. The tragic exception, a Mrs. Ridge, decided to take herself and her children back to South Carolina and thus back to slavery. Um, she had other children in the slave states and so faced a terrible Sophie's choice, freedom, or abandoning her other children to slavery. No one knows what happened to Mrs. Rich. She dis disappears entirely from history. However, in the courthouse in Hamilton, there were emotional scenes. The Attorney General, uh, Mr. Darrell, organized a whip round uh, for funds to help the newly liberated slaves. The mayor of Hamilton, Mr. Cox, offered up his warehouses as temporary accommodation. But it was Mr. Tucker, uh, through his friendly society, a, an early form of NGO, who apparently took all, uh, full responsibility or real responsibility for looking after Bermuda's newest arrivals. So the liberation of the enterprise uh, led to a great deal of local celebration and emotional scenes. It also created an international incident. There were angry press reports in American media angry speeches on the floor of the US Senate. Indeed, the senator for South Carolina, uh, Mr. Calhoun, suggested in 1840 that if there were any repetitions of the Enterprise case, it would lead to war with Britain. So, uh, Button Hamilton in 1835, it was a moment of euphoria locally. Uh, so, is the Enterprise uh, a, an example of Bermuda landing a blow for universal human rights? The answer is in part yes, but there is a darker context. The answer is yes, because the liberation of the enterprise slaves is an example of the common law's antipathy to slavery, an antipathy which must be celebrated. The enterprise litigation did not involve any novel questions. There's no reported decision. There's no report of the Chief Justice even uh, uh, having any, indulging any legal debate. He, he was certainly not creating a precedent. He was following one. Indeed, this was not the first time, in practical terms, of American slaves being freed in the British colonies. An American ship called the Comet had been wrecked in the Bahamas in 1830, and the slaves had been freed. Chief Justice Butterfield 
was also applying well-established legal jurisprudence. In, uh, in 1772, this is a case the uh, Chief Justice uh, referred to in his uh, talk a few moments ago, uh, Lord Mansfield, the Chief Justice of England, in the case of Somerset and Stuart, had ruled that the common law simply did not recognize slavery. Somerset and Stuart, like the Enterprise case, uh, involved habeas corpus. Um, it was a, uh, a case where uh, Mr. Somerset was a slave who had arrived in England from Virginia and then uh, was forcibly put on a ship to go back to Jamaica to be sold for apparently upsetting his owner. And a writ of habeas corpus was filed on his behalf. In the resulting decision, and it involved some of the leading advocates of the, of the age, the decision itself is 10 pages long, which is extraordinary for 1772. Lord Mansfield's ruling was uh, short, but rightly celebrated, and he said as follows, and I quote, the state of slavery is of such a nature that it is incapable of being introduced on any reasons, moral or political. It is so odious that nothing can be suffered to support it but positive law, and by positive law he meant statute. So what Lord Mansfield was saying was that as far as the common law was concerned, slavery was not recognized, it had nothing to do with the common law, it was an odious creation of parliaments. And further, what was not said in the Somerset and Stuart case is almost as important as what was said. Put another way, the parameters of the debate are as important as the decision itself. For the argument from the bar in Somerset and Stuart um, and Lord Mansfield's ruling from the bench were colorblind. The ethnicity of Mr. Somerset was legally irrelevant, the African origins of no legal consequence. And we can contrast this uh, with American jurisprudence from the same period. The Supreme Court decision of Dred Scott and Sanford, 1857, was a stain on the reputation of America's highest court. And the Chief Justice, uh, Chief Justice Taney, is now only really remembered for his um, appalling ruling in that case. And the facts in the Dred Scott case were simple and resonate with the Enterprise and the English case of Somerset. In Dred Scott, uh, an American slave, Mr. Scott, applied to the federal courts to rule that he was free. He had spent years in a free state. So how could he be both free in one state and a slave in another? In contrast to Somerset and Stuart, and in contrast to the Enterprise, the ethnicity of Mr. Scott was all important. It was pivotal to the American decision. According to the Supreme Court, if you were black, you could not be a citizen of the United States. According to the Supreme Court, men and women of African descent were not citizens and thus had no standing to complain about slavery, let alone do anything about it. This racist decision was a catalyst for the outbreak of the American Civil War in 1861, some four years later. But in Bermuda, in 1835, we had celebration, not violence, because the English common law did not recognize race as legally relevant. The barrister for Mr. Somerset, to go back to the English decision in 1772, the barrister for Mr. Somerset had argued in, um, that England's heir, this is a poetic phrase often used in the debates at that time, that England's heir was too pure to permit slaves to exist. The reason for the jubilation in Hamilton in 1835, after the Enterprise decision, was that Bermuda's heir was being pronounced clean. There is, however, a darker side. 
Chief Justice Butterfield reached a decision based squarely on ordinary English common law principles which had been set down for many years now, in particular by Lord Mansfield. He was applying common law notions of liberty of subject. But the simple fact is that if the enterprise had entered Bermuda's waters some six months earlier, uh, he would have done nothing because slavery, as we all know, was alive and well in a, until August 1834. There's plenty of positive law um, under, uh, in existence underpinning the institution of slavery. Indeed, prior to 1834, in comparative law terms, Bermuda was noted for its singularly repressive slavery regime. William Wilberforce's Society for the Abolition of Slavery, again, the, the chief referred to the um, Wilberforce and his pivotal society a few moments ago, had this to say about Bermuda in, an, in a report dated 1825. And I quote, of all the West India islands, the laws of Bermuda are among the harshest and most opprobrious. There is a wanton severity in their legislation which is quite singular. And the report cited not just the usual um, statutory provisions which underpin slavery, for example, the uh, impunity, which is uh, give grants to slave owners who kill their slaves, but referred to in particular the legislation which prevented uh, liberal, uh, liberation or manumission of slaves. Anyone who attempted to liberate their own slaves was subject to large fines. And indeed, free blacks were prevented or banned from owning any real property or you know, um, um, uh, real estate, or indeed entering long leases. In short, just six months before Enterprise's arrival, Bermuda was certainly not a safe haven. The air was anything but clean. Second, we should recall that the abolition of slavery was not homegrown. Abolition did not come from Bermuda's parliamentarians. The Emancipation Acts of 1834 were not uh, due to the uh, good intentions of our parliament. Abolition was imposed by Westminster. Like the Enterprise, Abolition was an import. The Emancipation, uh, the Emancipation Acts of 1834 were mandated by the Westminster, the English Abolition of Slavery Act of 1833. It was a, a, a colony-wide. Uh, third, while the new arrivals were embraced and abolition celebrated in 1835, the consequences of abolition were certainly not embraced in their entirety. The property bar for voting was raised in 1834 in the Emancipation Acts as part of a package of local measures dealing expressly with abolition. It was part of the same package, um, the, same, the same statutes. So the ruling elite would be protected from the new demographic. The enterprise slaves were free, but they would not be voting. In short, in 1835, there was freedom for the new rivals, but certainly not equality. There is a rather um, sickening footnote as well to the, to the enterprise, which is, you may be aware of, but uh, you may not, less, slightly less well known. Uh, Britain was, in 1853, following an international arbitration, ordered to pay damages to the enterprise's insurers for wrongfully liberating the enterprise slaves. For international law in the, at that time recognized slavery, and according to international law, Chief Justice Bannis Butterfield's decision was made entirely without jurisdiction and was simply wrong. He should, according to international law, have applied American slavery laws. Thus, all 72 of the new arrivals should have been sent on to South Carolina 
to, uh, to bondage. For a ship on the high seas sailing under a country's flag is and was considered an extension of the flag country. A ship forced to enter local waters due to bad weather is, under international law, to be treated as if it was still on the high seas. So, uh, in other words, the enterprise should have been treated by Chief Justice Butterfield as still in American waters, and thus uh, the Chief Justice Butterfield got it wrong. So Britain was ordered by an arbitrator to pay $17,000 compensation to the insurers as reparation for this breach of international law. But in 1835, Bermuda fortunately ignored, wittingly or unwittingly, and it's probable it was completely unwitting, uh, it ignored its international obligations. Uh, Bermuda followed the English common law, and Bermuda began to breathe cleaner air. <laughs>